Welcome to the Sustainable Nano Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Krauss. In this episode, we have an interview with Penelope Hill, a software engineer and technical writer. And while we don't specifically talk about nanotechnology or sustainability as such, we do discuss something that's important in science and technology fields, and everywhere else really, which is gender bias. If you've been following the news in the United States over the past few weeks, you know that we're having sort of a cultural moment where we're finally publicly talking about and acknowledging problems with sexual assault and harassment that are rampant throughout our culture, and they have been for a very long time. And implicit bias is something that is not the same by any means as harassment or assault, but it is certainly a related issue in that the sort of subconscious or automatic biases that we have in our culture about gender, and they're not just about gender, but that's what we're talking about in this particular case, are part of the systemic issues that have been leading to this cultural conversation that we're having. So I did this interview with Penelope quite a bit before this most recent round of news stories, so we don't actually talk about that in the interview, but you'll hear that it's absolutely related to some of the same issues. And the reason I interviewed her is that she created an interactive computer model to show how a very small amount of gender bias, in this case, can have long-term effects in an employment system. So, for example, a company that starts with 50-50 men and women employees, if there's only a tiny bit of bias against women as people are promoted to the top layers of the company, that small amount of implicit bias alone can lead to a significantly reduced representation of women in those high echelons of power. So you'll learn more about the app in the interview. I hope you find it interesting and thought-provoking. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hi there! Hi! Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. This is fun. So yeah, like I said, we're doing this podcast. It's for our part of our outreach efforts for this um, Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which is a chemistry research center. But we're interested in, you know, sort of life in science in general. And when I came across your your simulator, I thought this totally applies to academic science contexts as well uh, as business, which I think is sort of the model you set it up on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so yeah, I should back up a little bit. Would you like to introduce yourself briefly? (laughs) Sure. So let's see here. Um, I'm Penelope Hill. And gosh, I when I wrote the app, I had changed careers from being a project manager to a software engineer. And we'll kind of see on this journey. I've actually switched again. I'm now doing technical writing. And I think at the time when you're coming out of being a project manager, I worked in publishing for like a decade. And I worked mostly around women. I worked mostly for women managers. And so like gender bias and gender diversity weren't things that were really that top of mind for me. But when I became a software engineer and started working at a tech company in San Francisco, life was a little different. And I think issues around gender bias became really personal (laughs) for me. So, yeah. Do you mind sharing any specific things that really stood out to you? Yeah. You know, I think part of it was just the lack of women. So I was on teams where I was the only woman. And I think any time that happens, you become kind of like, you can't possibly represent everything, right? And so... Uh, it was tricky. I felt like not only was I a woman, but I was a mother. And so there's a lot of things that I felt like very much an outsider, I think, in terms of the things that were what my world was about, what my the demands of my life were. And I think even particularly engineering, it's such a demanding field in terms of it's competitive, but it's also a, the kind of field you have to put in a lot of hours, not just to hone your craft, but to stay on top of technology and to be really good. 
And that's challenging, I would say, argue as like any parent, like, you know, man or woman, it was certainly challenging for me to feel like I could keep up and do the level of performance I had done in my past life. And it was lonely, I would say, to kind of be sort of the only one and kind of a sea of, of um, men. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the this app or this model that you created. Yeah, so it was actually while I was working at a tech company that they started creating some training around they wanted to do an employee unconscious bias training, which is something we're seeing more and more different tech companies are doing. And my company had learned about this research paper that had been done in the like mid-90s by a couple different professors. I think Richard Martel was the first name on the paper. And basically in that paper, what they had done is they had come up with a computer simulation that looked at like a fictitious company and what might happen with like the cumulative effect of gender bias over time. And so what I offered to do was to kind of create an app version of that where we could really see it, but also play with the levels a little bit. And so what you see if you go to the app, which is doesgenderbiasmatter.com, is you'll see a bar graph. And you'll see eight levels, um, sort of level one to level eight. And level one represents the entry level. And level eight is the executive level. And what's happening behind the scenes is before the simulation begins, all eight levels are populated equally between men and women. So that's actually better than in, in real life. Right. You're not starting from that. <laughs> yes, it's like a field. perfect... In a perfect world, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it looks at 20 performance review cycles. So it looks at, assuming that it's like a 10-year period and everyone's getting like two performance reviews a year, the simulator goes in and it at each performance review, it randomly scores everyone, men and women, just totally randomly. But depending on what amount of bias and towards whom, so if you're on the app, you could pick bias towards men or you could pick bias towards women. You can also select different bias amounts, so like 1, 5, or 10%. And you can, so what happens at that moment when the simulator gives them a random score is that if it's, say, if you said, like, oh, I want to see bias um, towards men, so in favor of men, at, like, 10%. And so there is the simulator randomly gives this man a score of 90. It will then pad it by 10%. So instead of saving that score as 90, it'll save it as a 99. And after it's scored everybody, it will then, at every level, it will just say, like, you know what, people just naturally, there's just natural attrition. And the, the rate that was given is 15% um, in the study. And so at every level, it just takes out 15% randomly, not from the top or the bottom necessarily, just kind of removes 15%. And then what you have is you have holes at every level. So you've now got open positions at, at every level. And what happens in those open positions is it takes the top scoring performers from the previous, the lower level, and it moves them in. So if you're a top performer in level six, you get bumped to level seven, top performers from level seven get bumped to level eight. And when this happens you know, 20 times, so over 10 years, we suddenly see this big gap where at the beginning we had 50-50 men and women at level eight. And suddenly, I think if a 10, with a 10% bias when you hit the simulator, you see more like an 80% men and 20% women. So you see those gaps just increasing as time goes on. And it does depend on the level of bias. It's not quite as dramatic for a 1%. Yeah, I actually had the page open right now. I just did it, it at a level yeah. with a 10% bias favoring men. Level 8 ends up with 86.7% men and 13% okay. women. If we do it at 1%, we still end up with 68.7% men and 31.3% women at that high level. And so yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. So do we have or do we know what does that 1% bias reflect or 10% bias? What does that yeah. mean in a, <laughs> if you're thinking about your real life in, if you're a, say, I know. a science graduate student or a person in a company? Yep. 
How does that translate? Yeah. You know, I think that's really tough. I think that's where it gets really subjective. Like, I think a lot of us would agree, like, in ourselves, in our workplace or whatever, there is some amount of bias, but how much and how do you quantify that? Like, like you're saying, like, what does a 1% bias look like? And I, I don't know that we can really draft that out, but I think what the simulator tries to, to do is say that even if it's just a tiny bit, let's just say it's only 1%, whatever 1% means, that cumulative bias you know, over time has an impact, right? It, it does something much more dramatic than we would expect if we're saying like, oh, I don't think like just a little bit of bias, like what does that really do? You know, does that really change the shape of our companies? And I think, I think that for me, the exciting part of looking at that, because I think that notion of cumulative is true in so many fields, right? Like you talk about like investment, it's like, oh, you know, if you invest a little bit early after a while, it all like adds up or whatever. And I think, you know, not only, I mean, definitely the issues around gender bias are very kind of near to my heart, my personal life. But I think as we're looking at other things, like what if this was looking at, I mean, the study is, is specifically men and women is what they're saying, but, but it could be race, right? Like in what ways do we see this exact same thing playing out in kind of other avenues? So I think that's one of the things that for me felt really universal about this project is that that notion that just a little bit of bias in, in somebody's direction really can change the landscape of our companies, our communities. And, and people's lives, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of it is it's this very clear illustration of this cumulative effect This when we talk about systemic problems, it yeah. doesn't have to be the air, air quoting one bad apple who's really prejudiced or biased in, in whatever way that, that having this little, little bit, whatever it is that might not be obvious. And, and I, you know, in our field too, the implicit bias thing is, uh, you know, I think people are becoming more aware of it, which is great. That's first step in addressing implicit biases for it to be kind of yeah. made, uh, you know, apparent. But then, you know, you obviously you have to then decide once you, once you're aware of it, you have to say, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? But, but yeah. just to be able to see that, yes, indeed, having a systemic very small any kind of difference between two groups and because it's a mathematical model yeah you, as you say you can change the labels to compare any two things that that's this is the outcome that you get so yeah so have you i'm curious to hear have you gotten feedback about having done this yeah you know it was interesting to me is so the, the kind of the way in which it got out in the world was just twitter like i am not actually really much of a twitter user if you look at my account you'll kind of see <laughs> but i posted on twitter and what was interesting to me because i my immediate community is tech and i sort of knew like my friends would kind of share it or whatever or it would resonate with them but actually what surprised me was the outreach from academia and from all sorts of places, I had like somebody in Australia say, hey, I'd like to use this in my classroom. Is there anything else that you want me to, you know, like you want to talk about or different people kind of reached out and and largely I was seeing it shared among like women scientists. So it just wasn't on my radar at that moment, but how much that same thing that I was sort of living and we talk about in tech a lot is very much present in so many women in academics, women in science, sort of feeling like what's happening, like why are there so few of us and, and is it, I feel like in tech they talk a lot about, oh, is it a pipeline issue, mm -hmm. right? But but if it's not a pipeline issue, you know, if, if there's an equal number of people interested in these topics, then why over time are we seeing a very difference in sort of, you know, who continues on to higher levels and why does it look different over time? So there's definitely a resonance I, I noticed kind of among academics. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is not what, what this particular project was about, but what do you think about once people, once organizations have recognized this or buy into mm. understanding the, the kind of insidious yeah. effects of bias, what's the next step in yeah. your opinion? Interesting. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you're right. So, like, actually, like, acknowledging that the problem is definitely, like, a battle. It's tricky because I think that, you know, if we're talking about tech and, and we, um, we talk, like, about STEM, and so obviously part of that is, for me, from my experience, we're talking about women engineers and the lack of women engineers and stuff like that. I do think that part of it is creating opportunities for young girls to engage at younger levels and really have the confidence to sort of see themselves in that field. I, um, I saw a recent, you may have noticed, Melinda Gates has kind of come out and said that she wants to do this personal project that will be separate from the Gates Foundation, but it's around women in tech. And she, of course, was a computer science graduate, I'm not sure how many years ago, but the statistics have really changed. The, the article was saying when she graduated, it was like 37 women in her graduating class, and now it's more like 17%. And I think one of the things that she mentioned that I think is interesting and kind of relates to what you're talking about is that there was a certain shift in gaming culture that went from Pac-Man, where both girls and boys were like, this is a fun game, to games that were very male-oriented, where women were like, I don't, you know, girls were saying, I don't want to play that game, and sort of the perpetuation of that, where they kind of started falling out and losing an interest in connecting. Like, it just didn't connect with the things that they wanted to do. It didn't connect with fun. And so I think whether we're talking about learning to program or we're talking about some other kind of science how do we find a way to make that both accessible and exciting so that someone wants to stay in it? I know for myself, I didn't know computer science wasn't that much of a thing when I was in college. I studied math for a while, and then I was like, what do you do with math? Like, it just, I just felt lost. I didn't know what my journey would be. And it was like 20 years later that I decided to start to learn to code, and I loved it. And I still love it. I just found that my lifestyle didn't fit it all that well at the moment. So I think it's like, how do we get people to know it exists and love it and learn it? I think that there's also this sense of that once we're in that field, you know, once we are a professor or we're, you know, an engineer, whatever it is, that sense of helping continue be good advocates for each other. I think there was an article recently um, talking about, I think it was in the Obama administration, how women were doing this practice around like, you know, if you make a, you make an idea, then I sort of say, hey, remember Mary made this idea? And we're like... Because that sense of claiming each other, you know, we just, there, there can be real differences about how women and men articulate their ideas and claim them, not to sort of like point fingers, but I think that sense of like, how can we be better advocates for each other as men and women, right? And support those journeys. I also think that, you know, something that's getting talked about more and more, but I think, you know, as a, I have a two-year-old. And so for me, when I decided maybe I don't want to spend as much time in my work life as I need to to stay in it. So that sort of notion of like family life balance and who's doing everything and is our organization, whether it's a tech company or university or whatever, supportive of those kinds of things. Because all of those things are parts of the leaky pipeline where you're like, you know what, I might love to code, but I don't love it that much, <laughs> um, which is sort of part of what happened for me, right? That sort of complete picture. So if companies or universities are losing really skilled people because they can't somehow accommodate any variation in you know what in academia is the hundreds of years of tradition of work styles yeah. right That's, yeah uh... totally i'm curious what you think like i mean do you have any thoughts about how to create a better system a better environment for this kind of thing yeah, no, I've been thinking about it a lot. And we're actually working on a new implicit bias workshop for intended for our center initially, and then hopefully, you know, eventually to kind of expand it out to other academic centers. But thinking about incorporating throughout the workshop as we were designing it, 
the awareness building of like, yes, this is a thing. Yes, we all have it. Yeah, you know, it's there. And then almost every step along the way, the, okay, what can we do about this? So for example, very concrete things in academia are like writing recommendation letters. And there are things where I think it was Arizona State University put out a, a flyer actually about how to be aware of your own gender bias when you're writing academic recommendation letters. So the types of words that tend to be used more for women than men that you might not even notice that you're doing until yeah. you look for it. And then you say, oh gosh, yeah, I've put that my women students that I'm writing letters for, I tend to write how conscientious they are and how yep. dedicated and whatever. And the men, I tend to talk about how talented <laughs> or enthusiastic, you know? Yeah. So it's these, these kind of very, very subtle implicit things. So again, as we do these education thing, I think talking about what can be done or like in academic job searches, what concrete steps can search committees do to preempt to their own potential bias yeah. kind of things. And it's so hard because it is every step of the way. And especially when you're in a situation where, yeah, there's one job opening like in your model. And of course, the people who are hiring want to take the sure thing, the best bet, which if you're evaluating people on this one metric, which is this review, then yeah, why would why would they pass over the top scoring person to take the next person, right? So expanding our concept of how we evaluate candidates yeah. for different things too. Yeah. That it's not just, if you're looking at grad school ap applicants, maybe GPA, yeah, it's important because it may be an indicator of how someone performs in academic classes and therefore how they will perform in academic classes in your program. But that's not the only thing they're doing. And it's certainly not the only thing at all what they're going to be doing as a professional in your field once they graduate, yep. right? So totally. anyway, so it's it's hard. You know, we do what we can and, and keep hammering away at the awareness piece. Yep. And then I think part of what's challenging is that in each situation, how you address or try to lessen bias is different depending on what you're, every different thing that you're doing. So yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a big topic. It's a big topic. And also I think just recognizing when things come up, for example, if you have parents in your, you know, in your organization or whatever, maybe you never had to have a nursing room right. <laughs> if yeah. not, none of your employees had ever been breastfeeding before. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, suddenly our workplace is really inhospitable. But then, and then addressing that when it comes up right. rather than being like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. Yeah, totally. Anyway. So yeah, are you working on anything? You said you're not on Twitter much, but if people are interested in like what you're working on, is there stuff that you'd want to share? Oh, interesting. I feel like at the moment I'm not like sort of building an app or, or anything, but I think that I loved this project and and I think, you know, certainly if something else came my way, I, it would be really kind of juicy to, to dig into. I think in the meantime, I've really been thinking about that notion of the cumulative impact, right? And particularly the company, since I changed roles and became a technical writer, there's a lot more women technical writers. You know what I mean? I'm sort of in a different spot, and so it's not hitting me in quite the exact same ways. But I am at a, a large company that has really, and they admitted and they're working on it, like really bad racial diversity. And one of the things I think about with a company is that we do a lot of referral hiring. Like it's it's been a culture of like, you know, good people, you're good people. And so, and I look at my circle and I'm like, I don't have a really diverse circle of people I could refer. That's my reality, right? But I think a lot about one, like how do I change that? Cause it's not an overnight thing, but I think too, in what ways is, can I have a good, can I make a social impact even if it's small, knowing that there's that cumulative thing. 
definitely, I think that the social activist part of me is still kind of alive and, and really trying to find ways to, to help make some changes here. Building apps at the moment hasn't been one of them, but certainly if something juicy came up, I'd, I would love to dive in and build it. Great, great. And I thought of one other thing I was going to ask. When you were building the app, yeah. did you contact the original article authors at all? Or were you just taking the, the published data and working from that? You know, we took the, I took the published data and worked from it. I did have some times where it was hard to get... I knew from their research what their results were, and sometimes my simulator, I was like, it's not coming up the same thing. And I, But I did just kind of keep playing with the numbers that they had given until I uh, was able to match that. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I mean, that totally serves the scientific process in that you sort of independently replicated yeah. what they had come up yeah. with, which is cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk today. Yeah, thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Sustainable Nano Podcast. Thank you again to Penelope Hill for doing the interview with us and for creating the Does Gender Bias Matter app, which of course we will link to in the show notes for you. You can find it at doesgenderbiasmatter.com. Thanks as always to the National Science Foundation for funding the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which produces this podcast. Our usual disclaimer, as always, the opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the National Science Foundation. Want more Sustainable Nano? You can read our blog at sustainable-nano.com. You can find all of our podcast episodes at podcast.sustainable-nano.com or subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. We want to hear what you think of the podcast. Please get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook. We are at Sustainable Nano, all one word. Let us know what you think of this episode or what you want to hear in the future. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode, which will be coming in just a couple of weeks. 